Before I get into my messages more, I want to just use a disclaimer. Because I have to admit that when I was asked to preach this Sunday and I saw that we were going to be focusing on the persecuted church, it was very hard for me. Because I think the question came to me is this, and I, and I want us to look at it this morning. Are we ready to suffer? And for me to answer that, I have to think long and hard. Am I ready to suffer how Christians all around the world are suffering? Are you prepared to suffer for Christ? For most of us, the answer is no. For most, of the Christ, for most Christians around the world, the answer is yes. John Piper says Christianity was born in a world of totalitarianism. For 300 years, there was no legal legitimacy or protection for Christianity. To convert from one pagan religious and say Jesus is Lord was to risk your life. This was not strange. This was the world in which the New Testament was written. Peter puts it like this, and the same thing could be written over every first century church. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. First Peter 4.12. In other words, it was not strange to be persecuted. What is strange historically is that we are not being persecuted. The truth of the matter is, we should all be ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, we talk, it's talked through throughout scripture. Romans 1.16 is a common verse that we like to quote and talk about, and it's even become a Christian cliche for a rap group. 116. And it says, For we are not, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The question becomes, are we ashamed? Do we fear what outcome might come if we tell others about Christ? Do we truly take a stand for Christ, even in our little bit of persecution that may happen on our jobs, at school, or wherever the Lord may take us? Are we? Do we shy away from persecution even then? Because we think that, I don't want someone to say that I'm a Jesus freak. I don't want someone to say that I love Christ so much that I'm willing to put my life on the line. You see, like I said, for me, this was very challenging to me. And I hope that it's challenging to you. The question should never be if persecution is going to come, but the question should be when is persecution going to come? In this side of the world, we are very comfortable. You know, we like to be at home. We like to be in our lazy boy chairs with our soda right there, you know, because we even like to buy a lazy boy chair that has the cup holder right there so we don't have to actually bend over to get that soda. You know, today is known as Sunday, but we know a lot of men here like to watch football. So what do you like to do? You like to make sure you have your cold soda, you know, and cold water, and you don't want to have to bend too much because you don't have to work too hard because we like to be what? Comfortable. There's no one in this room that would say, oh yeah, I want to sweat. There'd be no one in this room who would say, I want to thirst. I want to put my life on the line probably. That's a hard step to make. The hard thing to do, as we've been thinking about. Here are a couple of verses, and I want to just, before I go on these verses, read a story. And like Pastor Wendley said, there are a lot of places around the world that persecution comes, and, and, and we, you know, we don't hear about it, and it's all over. But this came from the voice of the martyrs, and this is Nigeria. And they've said, you killed my soul. And a guy named John Yakabu had nothing. When he and his family were forced to flee Ateriga, 
a village in northeastern Nigeria after Boko Haram attack. They were just barely surviving a refugee camp. Boko Haram terrorists had officially killed thousands, destroyed villages, burned homes, businesses, and churches, and kidnapped hundreds of women, including more than 200 girls from a Chubok school in April, intent on creating an Islamic state in northern Nigeria. The attacks against Arteria were well-planned and carried out with a typical brutality. Over 100 militants dressed in military uniforms swarmed the predominantly Christian village just as Sunday church services were becoming on June 1st. The rebels opened fire on the village and went after people with their, mat- their machetes. 55-year-old Sawalta Wandala witnessed the Boko Haram slaughtering children at a church as she arrived for the second service. He saw the men throw one child into a ditch, more concerned for the child than his own safety. He picked the six-year-old boy who had survived being severely slashed and immediately rushed to take care of the child to the hospital in Cameroon. So Walter was stopped by five insurgents who grabbed the boy from his arms and beheaded him, be- turning to beat Swanalta with tree branches. They finished their attack, striking him in the head with a large rock, leaving him for dead with blood from his nose and mouth. After discriminating the, the village and sending residents fleeing, Boko Haram returned two days later in a second series of attacks on severe other villages in the Gwaza district. The back-to-back attacks left an estimated 200 people, including small children, dead. John Yakabu and his family were among those who fled across the border into a neighboring Cameroon. With his family facing starvation in the refugee camp, John decided to make a quick trip back to Atigar to retrieve some of his animals, hoping he could sell them for support his family. Though it was dangerous, there seemed to be no other choice at home. He decided to pick up some of the family other belongings, including the family Bible. Just think of that. After everything, he just worried about getting also his Bible. Boko Haram insurgents spotted him, entering the house, and quickly captured him. We know you're John, the militants said to him. You must convert to Islam or else you will die a painful death. When John refused, the men tied him into a tree, binding his arms and his legs. The men hacked both of John's hands with a heavy knife and mocked him. Can you become a Muslim now? You can kill my body, but not my soul, John shouted in pain. Using a machete as well as a knife, the men continued to torture John. They repeatedly cut into his feet and his back, stopping only to ask him if he would give up his faith in Christ to follow Allah. John refused. We will show you, they told him. The insurgent used an axe to deeply cut into his knee that it reached his bone. His head slashed with a knife. Eventually, John lost all consciousness. At some point, the terrorist left and John was left bleeding and tied to the tree for three more days before someone rescued him. And he was taken to the hospital in a coma. In the hospital, a voice of the martyr worker met John. When the worker asked John how he felt about the attackers, he replied, and listen to this, I have forgiven the Islamic militants because they did not know what they were doing. As I read that story, and as graphic as it may be, the question comes to each one of us in this room. Are we willing to go through that for Christ? And like I said, I'm not just talking down you. I have to ask myself, am I willing to go that far? Am I willing to put my life on the line like that? And you know what? Persecution is not an option for us. 
There are many verses in the in scripture that will tell you, and we started Matthew 5, 10 to 12. And it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. But so they persecute the prophets who were before you. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Romans 8.35 says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long as regarded as sheep to slaughter. 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the last one, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And there are many other scriptures we could go through tonight, this morning. But as I think of that first verse, blessed are you. Happy are you that you are persecuted for my sake. Honored, as some people at, the, at that blessed word mean, honored are you when you go through these trials for me. Do we look at it that way? You know, we go through different trials in our lives, and we, the first question we want to ask is, why God? Why is this happening to me? Um, you know, I remember in my life, just, uh, you know, just a, as, a, as a, you know, just a story. Um, I remember when me and Tamsin found out we couldn't have children. And, you know, I remember going through that, you know, and I remember when at the, the church I was to having a, a young teenager in my youth group who got pregnant out of wedlock. And I thought to myself, God, what are you doing? How could this girl who has nothing, nothing to do with you could have a child? And why can't me and my wife who are pursuing you in ministry not have a child? And I remember going through that, that trial and, and just thinking, why God? And for many of us in this room, that's the first question we ask when we go through a trial. Why God? Why me? Why not them people over there? Why not the person I'm sitting next to in the pew? Because you know why? We're not ready for the suffering. We're not ready for that persecution. But we should be ready for it. I want to read another story before we go into our text for this, this morning. We who live in freedom must pray for them. They are our brothers and sisters. We have more in common with them than our unconverted Bahamian friends and those who are around us. This story is about Graham Staines. And it's um, Randy Alcorn tells the story. And this is what he says. On January 23rd of 1999, Graham and his two sons, Philip and Timothy, were murdered by a large mob of militant Hindus. They had gone to a Christian camp in the jungle where Graham was ministering. At midnight, the mob attacked, setting fire to the jeep in which Graham and his sons were sleeping. They were burned alive. When the fire finally cooled, they found the charred body of Graham Staines with his arms around the bodies of his sons. The response of Gladys and Esther was one of the front page of every newspaper in India, with one billion people soon to pass China as the most populous nation on the earth. 
Gladys said, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for the sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. That's all they were concerned about. Concerned about seeing the love of Christ shared. You know, this morning we, we remember the Lord's Supper and we know the suffering that Christ went through for us. So we should not be wondering when it's going to come, in a sense. It's going to come. Suffering is going to come. Many people were surprised when Gladys Staines decided to stay in India. She explained her decision this way. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. When asked and how she felt about the murder of her dad, Esther, the 13-year-old, said, in other words, it sounds straight out of the pages of Acts, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. When do you find young people like that? May God grant us a generation of children, teenagers, and young adults with that type of courage. Again, I ask you, are you prepared to suffer for Christ? And like I said before, when I ask you this question, it's not just to you. I'm asking myself that. Because am I ready to go through that suffering? Am I ready to say, and, and, and let me just say this, as a, as a father, I, I pray, I can't say every day, but I pray so many times and I ask myself the question, God, let me be prepared. If you call my daughter into that type of life, you know, let me be accepting of that. Because let's be real parents in this room. We want comfort for our children as well, for our grandchildren. We want comfort. You know, the first question you'd probably ask your child, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure? Because you know why? We wouldn't want them to go on the other side of the world from us. Because we like the comfortable life. We like to sit back, relax, and enjoy life together. Which brings us to our text for this morning. And I just want to pause for a word of prayer before we go into our text. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for how much you love us, that you would send your son to die for us. And Father, even this morning, as we think of the, this, the persecuted church, the suffering church, whatever we want to call it, Father, we know that there are many people today that are dying for you. And Father, we live in this world, and we are comfortable, and we think so many times in our lives that that's all we want. We want comfort. Father, I pray that we be a people that would be ready to suffer you, people that are ready to to be on guard for you, ready to do whatever you call us to do. Father, I just pray that you would help each one of us, challenge us, open up our hearts to you. Lord, I pray this morning that we won't just be hearers, but we would be doers, and we would apply your word to our lives. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 3.13-17 says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for you to those you will call, that you obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Let his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil to do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you? if you are zealous for what is good. Verse 14. But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope 
that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the will, than for doing evil. This morning we will look at three basic points. First point is this, live in harmony with one another, verse 8. Second point is be Christ-like in all situations, verses 9 to 14. And, verse, and the last point is be ready to defend your faith at all times. The first point, live in harmony with one another. Verse 8 says, finally all of you, you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter makes it very clear that it is a command not just to some believers, but to all believers. That is amazing how this verse appears right before Peter is going to talk about suffering for the sake of Christ. He said that all of you must be unified. Doesn't mean that we are always going to agree on everything. No. We're not always going to agree. Um, you know, some people probably would say in this room, I wish the carpet was a different color than blue. You know, some people would probably say that, you know, one thing or the other, I wish the pews would have been a different color. We're not going to agree on everything. That's just not the way it works. You know, I mean, let's, let's be real. In our homes, our families, you know, we just, some, some people just like to disagree to disagree. You know, that's, that's their goal in life. You know, they want to be, you know, they always want to be disagreeing with everything you do. But we have to understand when we, it comes to our faith. We have to ask a couple of questions. And there are some essentials of faith that we need to make sure that never are compromised. And those are this. We need to believe in the deity of Christ. We must believe that Christ died for our sins. We must believe that Christ arose on the third day. We must believe that all scripture is God-breathed. These are just some of the main essentials. These are things that we cannot, in this world, have a question. There's no way that we can question them as believers. There's no way, me and you can sit down and say, I don't think that God rose on the third day. Because that would defeat our whole religion, what we believe. Yes, there are other things in Scripture that we could, you know, we can debate on or whatever, but these are the essentials of the faith that we need to hold on to and fight for in our faith. There's no compromise there. We must always be ready in any discussion that we have to be Christ-like. We must be ready to show God's love. It's not, you know, a lot of times when we get in these discussions, and let me tell you something, Christians, believers, you know, we like to fight among ourselves. We like to sit and discuss things, and just all we want to do is bicker and complain about everything in this world, even when it comes to Scripture. Well, I believe this, I believe that, I do, you know, Whatever you do, whatever discussion you have in Scripture, it must be done with one thing in mind. Love. We have to talk about things in love. You see, if I'm there just trying to talk to you about Scripture and saying to you, well, I believe this and that's it. I don't want to hear your side of the story. That's not love. That's argumentative. That's, that's how we are. So we want to argue. That's our first instinct as human beings. We want to get our point across. But everything must be done in love. Everything must be done to, not to cause the brother to not like us, but it's to bring unity among the brothers and sisters. You see, we must remember this, and, I, and one author said it like this, Providence does not ask us whom would we would like to be our brothers. No one in this room said, I want you to be a Christian, I want you to be a Christian, I don't want you to be a Christian. You know, Providence already has all who our brothers and sisters are. That is settled for us. But we are bidding to love, irrespective of our natural 
taste, you say that's impossible. But remember, true love does not necessarily originate in the emotions, but in the will. It consists in not in feeling, but in doing. Not in sentiment, but in action. Not soft words, but in noble and unselfish deeds. You see, love is an action. I can't just tell you I love you and I don't do anything or care about you. We as believers need to understand that this is the problem in our church today as we think about Christianity, is love for one another, unity. We must remember that we are all at times, all of us are difficult at times to love, even myself. If my wife was here, she could probably tell you that, you know. We are all difficult to love at times. I didn't get an amen just now, you know, I was open. I didn't get an amen, so, you know. But we are all difficult to love at times. Because you know why? We are all sinners. But you know what? As those who call us our believers, we are sinners saved by grace and grace alone. Secondly, as we think of the last, as we think of that last part of the verse, it talks about a humble mind. We must always think of others above ourselves. This is what Christ did as he came down to die on the cross for our sins. He thought of our sin on the cross. It's the same as those around the world who are suffering for the sake of the call every day. They could be home in their lazy boy, but they are trying to see others come to faith in Christ, whether it means that they lose their life or not. That's what they're willing to do. Put their life on the line. Second point is this, be Christ-like in all situations. Verse 9 said, do not repay evil for evil, for reviling, but on the contrary, blessed for those who are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love the life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to the, their prayer. And that's what we talked about this morning, to pray for those. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if it should suffer for righteousness, sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear for them or be troubled. Again, what does the world teach us? To always what? And as we see in verse 9, it always says what? To get even. Somebody does you wrong, get revenge. Seek revenge. Do something back to them. You know, I, I remember as a, um, just a, just a little side story. I remember, um, when I, when I lived in Spanish Wells, um, if, it, if anyone had been to Spanish Wells, you know that Christmas time is a time of they toilet paper and do things to your house and do all these different things. Well, I just remember one time, um, any, any family I need to go to, you know, they probably did it. I remember this one time, you know, we woke up in the morning, a house with toilet paper, some people put some cereal on our porch and it melted marshmallows, and we were, um, we were a little upset. That's just at least. So they asked my wife if she would do a, Scavenger hunt for them. You know, for those who know scavenger hunt, you have a riddle, you go find somewhere, you got to go find a clue, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, she gave them a clue to go to the dump, which was the, you know, to go to the dump there. But they thought for sure that, they thought for sure that basically the clue that she gave them was the wrong clue, that we were just trying to get them in a circle, you know, get them all around. But we actually had them going to different places. So they got upset, and they just retaliated again because they thought we were, they were, well actually they came to us, they were upset. How could you do this? And we said, well, you didn't go for the other clue. The other clue was right there. And we had to go show them what the clue was and they were a little upset. But that's how we operate. We want to try to do one up on the person. We want to try to get them back. That's what the world teaches us. If you do me wrong, I got to get you back. And I can just get you back. But I could get you worse than what you did to me. 
That's what the world teaches. But what does it say in verse 9? They tell them not to repay evil for evil. But count it a blessing when people persecute you for the name of Christ. And this word blessed is the same word in the Beatitudes that means happy, privileged, honored. Count it an honor to be persecuted. Does that sound right to me and you? No. Does it sound right to say, honor, I'm honored to be suffering right now. I'm honored to be going through this trial right now. I'm privileged to go through this trial. No, it doesn't. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be honored. We're supposed to count it a privilege to go through these. Because you know why? We've been going through the for the Lord, for righteousness' sake. It goes back to the story of Graham Staines. And as we think of the quote of the daughter that killed her father and said, when asked how she felt about the murder for her dad, Esther, a 13-year-old said this, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. What a testimony. That is faith. That is a testimony. How many times are we ashamed to even talk to our family members about Christ? Or our co-workers? Or our schoolmates? How ashamed are we because we, we're so scared what the response is going to be? But she understood that, you know what? My dad died for the righteousness' sake. My dad died for a cause. Who can forget the Elliots, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, the Yaka Indians? Who can forget that story? It's been made in the splendor of Gates. Um, you know, the other movie came out lately, uh, recently. Um, I can't remember right now, but End of Despair. Who can remember that story where they killed their husbands? But yet what did they do? Stay there. Help the families. You know, even cut their hair and do all this stuff. You know, because they understood, you know what? It's for the Lord. And that's how we need to be. We need to recognize that when it's, we're doing it for the Lord, we're going to give more. We're going to give 100%. You know, in verses 10 to 14, Paul tells that there are those who are looking to do evil against you. But remember to always pursue God with everything. Always remember that you can call him in on prayer. You see, as a believer, we have to recognize that people are going to be watching our lives. They're going to watch when you fall. They're going to make sure you know about it. Because you know the first thing I say? You call yourself a Christian. I saw you do this. I'm sure we've all heard that. But we have to remember this one thing. And we have to tell him, look, look, I'm a sinner just like you. But you know the difference between me and you, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, must, I have the, the sinner saved by grace. That's all I can depend on. I'm not perfect. Never will be perfect. The only time that me and you will ever be perfect is when Jesus Christ comes back and takes the children home. And that will be the first time in life that we truly worship God without the sinful body without the sinful man, that we could truly honor him. What a day that will be to think about. And the last point, be ready to defend your faith at all times. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered to those who revile your good behavior, they may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that is to be God's will in doing evil. There are three basic things that we can look at in these last verses. First of all, we see in verse 15, lift up the name of Jesus. We are commanded to lift up the name of Jesus in our hearts. We must be ready to defend his holiness at all times. Chuck Colson commented this way in the early church. If a person stood up in a public arena and cried out, Jesus God, no one would be offended because the Romans and Greeks believed in many gods. To call Jesus God would not have seemed it would not even seem risky. But if a Christian stood up and shouted, Jesus is Lord, and there is no other God, 
he would be putting his life at risk. Do you lift up the name of Jesus above everything else in your life? Do people see that in your life? Secondly, we must be ready to speak up. And the second part of verse 15 says, we must always be ready to make a defense to anyone who acts about the hope of the living in you. We must be ready to defend the name of Jesus. And I, and I thought about this, and I thought about defense. And, I, and like I said, today is Sunday, so you think a little bit about football. Think about football for a second. It's fourth down, your team's down by four, or your team's up by four. Let's say your team's up by four. And you have to play defense on the one-yard line. This is the last play of the game. What are you going to do? Are you going to say to yourself, just throw any defense out there. Throw the worst cornerback, throw the worst guy we have on the corners and just let him do it. No, no. You're going to put your best defense forward. That's how it comes with Christ. We are to be ready to defend him all the time. Ready to give him 100%. Give him our best. Be ready to defend him. And the only way we can defend him is we know God's word. We have to study this book. You know, we could get other books and we read them and, you know, those are great. But this is the book that never grows old. God's word. These books, these words were written many years ago, long time ago, but they're still applicable to us today. But yet so many times we don't even go to God's word. And then the last one is the shape up. Verse 16 is talking that we are to live a life that's pleasing to God. There will always be those who hate you or persecute you. But don't let that discourage you or to seek revenge. But let your testimony be seen and love for Christ to be seen. And it will be put those who persecute you to shame because people will see the love of Christ in you. You see, there are many times in our lives where, again, as I said, people are going to look at your life and say, he called himself a Christian. You know, I saw him doing this. But you know what? If we are always standing up for Christ and people see that, people will defend us and say, you know what? That's not, that's not that person. Because I know he has a genuine relationship with Christ. I know he wouldn't do that. You know, we like to gossip. We like to put people down. But let's remember this. Let your testimony speak up for you. Let it be the shape of your life. Let Christ be the shape of your life. So as I close, I want us to remember to pray for the persecuted church. Because I think that, you know, today, and I think it's another day in March that is set out for, let's pray for the persecuted church. But let me just also say this as we think of that, because we need to remember to pray for us as believers here in this country. Because, you know what, persecution may not be how we see on that side of the world, but as we can see, it's coming. It's coming. Are we prepared for it? Are we ready? You know, like I said at the beginning, it's not if it's going to come. It's when it's going to come. So how do we apply this? Live in harmony with one another. Secondly, be Christ-like in all situations. And thirdly, be ready to defend Christ at all times. Because that's the one thing, that's the one hope that we have is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, as I think of those around the world who are suffering for you, Father, I pray that you would be with them, give them the faith, the courage to continue to do it, Father. Father, I pray for us in this country. Father, even as we know people, you know, this week being shot and, and home invaded, Father, we know that maybe it wasn't for 
whether they were a Christian or not. We, you know, but Father, who knows? That can come. It can come very rapidly here. And the question for us is, are we ready? Are we preparing ourselves for this? Because, Father, we need to always be on guard, be alert, be vigilant, because we know that the devil is roaring around us all the time. And, Father, we need to be ready and be prepared. And we just thank and we praise you as we continue to worship you, that our heart to be pure before you. And, Father, that we would all be able to answer the question, we are ready. And I thank you and I praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.